my next step for the reader is really to remind of C.S. Lewis's thing. If your theology is mainly built around a study of demons, I like to say, I think we have a discipleship problem. All of these stories point to Jesus. And I think we need to balance our demonology with healthy pneumatology, studying the Holy Spirit, thinking about um, having a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, and just really being rooted in, you know, Christology, to say, or even, <laughs> you know, having in-depth doctrine of God. There can be a temptation. This is fascinating stuff. And there can be a temptation to sort of let it overtake you. Something happened in, in the midst of this culture. What you're describing, your experience, is all of a sudden now. And it's an intentional Welcome to Faith in the Fold, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today on the show, I'm delighted to have Dr. Joy Vaughn, Assistant Professor of New Testament at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. With her PhD in biblical studies from Asbury Theological Seminary, Dr. Vaughn's areas of expertise include Lucan scholarship, as well as possession and exorcism accounts in the Synoptic Gospels and Acts, among many other topics as well. Joy, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's great to be here with you today. Yeah, good to have you. And um, you were saying earlier before we started that this is your first podcast, right? Yes, this is my foray. Faith hey. into the folds, you get the first one. All right. So first of many, because this book that we're going to talk about here in a little bit sounds really exciting. And you told me that you've already got an interview coming up uh, later, right? I do. I have one next week. All right. All right. I will. Man, I need to try to get my... Get this episode out before they do, just so we can. No, okay. <laughs> well, hey, um, you're at Asbury University. How long have you been teaching there? What kinds of things do you teach? And um, you know, what was it like being at Asbury University? You know, back in February when Asbury was in the news for something pretty special. Tell us all about it. So I started teaching at Asbury University in 2013 as an adjunct professor, and during the, my my coursework and my dissertation writing at Asbury Theological Seminary, and it was a great joy to be able to uh, teach while also studying. It gave me a great opportunity to share with what I was doing. So when I graduated with my PhD in biblical studies in 2020, I then started in the fall of 2020 teaching at Asbury University. And it's a great uh, joy to have been here at Asbury University. This would be the beginning of my fourth year of teaching. Right. And so at Asbury University, I have a great opportunity to teach uh, all of our students uh, courses in Old Testament studies. Uh, I teach a lot of OT 101, a survey course, New Testament studies like NT 100, a survey to the New Testament. And then we have a course on the foundations of Christian thought, the Christian theology. And so I teach all of those to our gen general population of students. And then I also have courses for Bible and theology uh, majors and minors. Um, a really fun course that I like to teach is one on New Testament and the end times. And oh. just bringing a really biblical that's, backbone. That's really to exciting. Yeah. What it's, you know, what it's like to interpret Revelation and mm -hmm. really help students see that course, uh, uh, that 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 book. I would say, 
um, in a more hopeful perspective about yeah. what is really going on there. A lot of students come with a lot of fear to that text and uh, to help them reframe it. This is the book of hope. And so I love what I get to do here at Asbury. Uh, this past spring, we had what we call an outpouring event at Asbury University, where mm -hmm. we had uh, probably over 50,000 visitors to Wilmore, Kentucky. And um, I can remember going to lunch after chapel and then coming back. And I just was like, wow, there's still music going on. This, there's something going. There's something stirring and I just felt this drawing, you know, I'm, I'm entering Hughes and I'm, I want to go up. My office goes down the stairs and I wanted to go up and I walked in the back and I saw students just pouring their hearts out to God in worship. And I saw uh, joy filled smiles and I saw lament and I saw repentance and I saw students who were really hungry to be met by God. And I, I stumbled my way down uh, to the second row on the left of the auditorium and joined them in worship in what I felt was just a beautiful manifestation of God's presence among our students. Um, a little later on in the afternoon, um, our president had said, hey, something's going on. If you want to go to Hughes, uh, go to Hughes and, and witness what's going on. We had no idea at that moment that what, what had started with just a few uh, would grow into thousands and thousands and thousands. Yeah. And and I've never seen anything like it in Wilmore, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, the last weekend that it was here, I had to show an ID to get into town to prove that I lived there to be able to access the town because <laughs> wow. we had so many people yeah. who wanted to come experience what was happening in Hughes and just taking a pilgrimage mm -hmm. to experience God. And, and that just was really a great thing to be a part of. Um, and you know, spent time praying with with students and then visit, visitors and guests at the altar, uh, and worshiping together, praying together, uh, really being transformed by God in those moments. Uh, what's cool now is to hear the stories. So we're beginning to hear more and more stories from students, uh, from new students who came to experience outpouring, but now they're here as students. Mm -hmm. Um, and even to continue to see the the testimony of the work of God unfold in the lives of those who had that experience and just carrying it forward. And also to see how it's had a, a, a an impact on a variety of other places. So to come and experience, and we had sending, we've had sendings uh, where people will then go and and really, you know, be it this 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 isn't meant to stay here at Hughes. It was always meant to be. Uh, you know, God's story, if you think of Abraham, for instance, would be a light into the nations mm -hmm. and that God's presence would be everywhere. Ezekiel's vision of the temple, that the temple would be like expand mm -hmm. so that the God's presence fills the whole city and the promise of revelation that one day all creation will be redeemed. God's mm -hmm. presence will be everywhere and everyone will be worshiping him. So when I think of it, I think of it kind of through that great lens. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was neat, you know, from an outsider's perspective, you know, outsider because I wasn't there in on you know, in person, but uh, I was, you know, still have friends, you, you, yourself, Tom Lyons, um, whom I uh, I interviewed um, right around the time. I, I think it was around maybe March or April. I did kind of a two part interview with Tom and you know, did some other stuff where I talked a little bit about what I saw was going on. Um, you know, my friend Lee, who's uh, still writing his dissertation there and camp still uh, still preaching in uh, in Nicholasville, it was really fascinating to see to see how 
people from a variety of denominational backgrounds and you know, maybe that also includes a variety of you know understandings about you know how this how the spirit works how the spirit moves they frequently described it in the way that you described it that there was this there was a sense that it was almost palpable that you know there really is something something very warm and inviting and um and alive there and you know it, it is that kind of an accurate you know, quick summary of yeah, sort of what you experienced absolutely I mean, you know, I just, and uh, to me, this term kind of gets tossed around. It was maybe the first word I used when somebody said, what's going on? And I said, I don't know, precise, I don't really know, but I can remember saying, it's just really sweet. There's just mm -hmm. this very sweet presence of God, of, of peace that is palpable when you walk into Hughes and um, yeah, just you know, I couldn't have told you what would have happened at that moment, but I just thought, wow. And, and to be here and to know our student population and to see them experiencing God uh, just really was so exciting to be an eyewitness to mm -hmm. see this, this generation of students experiencing God for themselves and, and having those moments together. Yeah. Now, at, at the risk of forcing a somewhat awkward segue, your book is about something similar, right? <laughs> about outpourings <laughs> or you know movements of spirits or things like that, right? Yes, <laughs> that's uh, and so I, I uh, we were talking before the uh, before the interview started, and I I mentioned that like I, I have been asking to interview you about this topic for months and months now, and you know praise God, your book is out. And the book is I'm out. Super excited about it. For those of you who have a video, there it is. And tell so us the title and book. tell us what it's about. And so this book is entitled "Phenomenal Phenomena," and the subtitle is "Biblical and Multicultural Accounts of Spirits and Exorcism." And this book is about well, let me to make that segue a little more comfortable. I remember having a moment in my study, Carol, at Asbury Theological Seminary, where I began to think about how we're so comfortable with the idea of the Holy Spirit being real. Whereas, mm. you know, we we have some comfort with that idea throughout orthodoxy, throughout church history. Uh, there's a lot, a good bit of conversation about pneumatology. Now, far less is there conversation about what it looks like to think about evil spirits. And I began to be, think about, okay, good spirit, evil spirit, you know, how is it plausible to sort of believe in the one and totally ax out the others. Yeah, and yeah. is this some biased thinking that we have here? Um, our New Testament writers don't seem to write like that. Uh, Westerners sometimes tend to think like that. And so I thought, I wonder what it means to be consistent, to interpret through this spiritual worldview that is found in antiquity. Uh, something that is really assumed, not justified or explained. In other mm -hmm. words, there's no argument for the existence of spirits that you find in the New Testament accounts. They just kind of show up. Right. Uh, so what do you do with that? And so my book is really about how to read these spirit possession and exorcism stories in the Gospels and Acts. So when you approach the story like the Gerasene or the Gadarene, depending on your your textual yeah. <laughs> viewpoint there, <laughs> right, um, yeah. what the actual name is. Uh, mm -hmm. When you approach a story like that, how do you read it? What do you do with it? Um, 
And I, there's three ways, there are three main ways in scholarship that these stories are approached. And the first one comes to us from scholars like Rudolf Boltmann or Martin de Bellius, where there's a demythologization that goes on in the text. And so these accounts, such as that one, are legendary tales. They're trying to prove something. Uh, particularly the early church thinks that these were meant to prove that Jesus was the Messiah and, and that Jesus didn't really exercise in these ways. And so in this way, and this kind of lens, these are not historically plausible events and probably not eyewitness accounts. And that comes really, I think, from the influence of the Enlightenment. So that's yeah. the first way. But I think then, the and just to hop in real quick, those guys you mentioned, uh, Rudolf Boltmann, Martin de Bailius, those guys were, you know, were flourishing you know, a hundred-ish, you know, we'll round it up, a hundred-ish years ago, and yeah. they you know, predominated at German scholarship, which, you know, a hundred plus, a hundred or so years ago, you know, the center of New Testament studies was really the European continent. Uh, you know, you might think yeah, today, also- today it's probably more, you know, America or, you know, uh, maybe Britain, but it, you know, a hundred years ago in a different generation of scholarship, it was the European continent. Yeah. So those guys were kind of at the top of the top of the game there. Yeah, and and being products of their own environment, we're thinking of enlightenment thinking and principles mm-hmm. of modernity. And you have, you know, this idea of like, how can you unveil yourselves to like electricity and new technology and then yet still believe that spirits are real. Mm-hmm. And so they're really grappling with this through their own lenses. And and it's helpful to remember that, you know, it's not to, to bash them or something like that, but they're yeah. really products of their times. Um, another, the second way that New Testament scholars tend to like to interpret or read these accounts is through sociopolitical lenses. And okay. so you think about oppressive political leaders who produce difficult situations, maybe being subjugated. And that can often lead to something like a mental health problem or physical health problems. And so they they look at the list and say, well, it's because these folks were living in oppressive environments uh, or difficult situations that they're actually having these problems. So the problem isn't spiritual. It becomes a social or political problem. And so those are two ways texts are sometimes read or interpreted, really. And a third way is a battle with Satan. In other words, that in antiquity, there is a belief in malevolent spiritual beings, and these beings can cause a lot of problems in a person's life, whether it be um, a, a physical problem, a mental problem, or other sorts of uh, problems. And so, you know, how do we read these texts? How do we interpret them? Um, can be difficult. And so that's what my book is attempting. That's really the problem I'm trying to unravel is, are these eyewitness testimonies um, where they're plausibly historical, not not arguing for straight up historicity, that's really hard to prove, but are these really plausible stories that Jesus could have exercised a spirit and someone gets well? You know, Mm -hmm. the, the bent over woman then stands up and she had a spiritual problem. Uh, or is this really something that could have happened in Jesus's time? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, one of the things that I have uh, that I found to be uh, particularly interesting in our, um, you know, in in our research, and so like your focus has been that. My focus was on 
all right, how do we actually do the work of history so we can ask questions like, you know, what would be the most plausible reconstruction? And, and what's interesting is Jesus's supporters, his followers, as well as Jesus's detractors, you know, agreed that he was known for performing right. these kinds of miracles, that he was known for casting out demons. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you have a tradition like that, okay, that that's still that's still one step removed from proving that the thing actually happened mm -hmm. with um you know that word proof there that's a tough word that that's tough, tough. Word. but yeah. in terms of how a historian would look at this a historian can say as uh, as, as i know you land on and as i know i've landed on a historian can say and the best evidence that we have is that J jesus had this reputation Okay, so then mm -hmm. what generated, you know, that reputation? Yeah, you know, that's uh, mm -hmm. that's ultimately where you know some of our research has uh, has gone to. Um, help us yeah, provide a little bit of context. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, let me just respond to that with a little piece that if you look in historical Jesus studies, there's really not much debate on whether or not Jesus was an exorcist. So from the New Testament side, like everybody mm -hmm. sees Jesus as an exorcist. Yep. Now, how you interpret these events or if right. they're historically plausible are two different stories. So sometimes it's kind of helpful to get that on a spectrum. Um, but I thought maybe I would um, re read just a little bit of what I illustrate as some of the problem. Please give very, us a little teaser of your book. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep hyping it up. And so uh, this kind of illustrates maybe the problem for a Western reader, okay? And so there's this little anecdote that I used to start the book, and it was crafted by John S. Mabiti, and he illustrates the reductionistic nature of Westernized viewpoints. He says, the parable tells of a talented and gifted African student who travels westward to receive a theological education for ministry in his home setting. Mm -hmm. So he goes, he gets a Western degree, and Mabiti narrates the little parable or little anecdote finally he got what he wanted a doctorate in theology he was anxious to return home at home relatives neighbors old friends dancers musicians drums dogs cats and all gather to welcome him back suddenly there is a shriek someone has fallen to the ground and the chief says to him you've been studying theology overseas for 10 years now help your sister she's troubled by the spirit of her great aunt he looks around slowly he goes to get boltman looks at the index, finds what he wants, reads again about spirit possession in the New Testament. Of course, he gets the answer. Boltmann demythologized it. And so I think in our Western theological approach to this, we, we really haven't nuanced um, a multicultural perspective. Mm -hmm. And so if I could move forward a little bit, what, what do I mean by that? In 74% of societies, experience of the phenomena of spirit possession. And it's actually growing in the West. I, I read something in, it might have been in the New York Times, where it's like 50% of Westerners now believe that spirits are real. And so I, it, I would it, believe that. Yeah. I would say it's probably maybe accurate. I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to go back and look at all the statistics and such. But even in our theological environments, um, sometimes these texts can make us uncomfortable and we we have a real problem. So what I thought is you put on this multicultural lens. What if we could learn from an interreligious study of spirits and exorcism and possession 
from a wide variety of global perspectives and a wide variety of religious perspectives and then ask, how do these events, do they compare at all? You know, what does looking at this from a global perspective bring to the Westerner? And so that's that's a, a big part of the book is looking yeah. at a lot of stories from anthropology and ethnography and seeing how does how does this play out in, in the major regions of the world? Yeah. You've mentioned the, the term Western a couple of times. One thing that I have tried to show my Bible classes, particularly and in like the last few months, because I've been going over, um, I, taught, I taught Ephesians on a Sunday morning um, a few months ago. And then most recently, I, I've just finished up Colossians, um, and I'm also mm -hmm. preparing for a series of lectures at the end of September at my alma mater on Colossians. And one thing I've really tried to show is, you know, for people who come from a, a culture that is much more spiritually sensitive, that's the way I've been using it, uh, a much more spiritually sensitive culture, knowing that Jesus is the, the cosmically powerful, all-sufficient, enthroned Christ, who is the creator of the, not only the creator uh, but is also a ruler of you know all of these uh, all, all of these entities that may be troubling them. That's incredibly good news. Um, mm -hmm. But that has that kind of thinking has tended to um, you know maybe maybe somewhat absent in uh, you know the last you know maybe 100, 200 years within within Western uh, Western cultures, but like you said, that is starting to change. I'm curious, Joy, how have your how do your students respond to stories like this when you get to stuff like this in in the Old Testament or in the New Testament? D do they say, "Yeah, man, that's weird," or do they do they say, "Oh, yeah, like that kind of stuff actually makes sense based on my own experience or 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 you know or whatever they they know"? Like, how, how do they respond? I think they respond with a lot of interest and there's a lot of interest in spirituality in our general sort of American environment. Mm -hmm. I think that would, I think that would, you know, you could say that in the, even the, the larger Western environment, but I know at least in our American environment, there's a lot of interest in spiritual things right now. And so I did have an opportunity last fall to teach a course and the title of the course was demons and spirits. And so we got to go through all of these I'm so jealous. texts together. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Wow, that's wild. And, and it's, it is a little wild. I'm not sure I like being the demons professor. <laughs> Some things I didn't really think about before I chose yeah. this topic. You know, it has that effect. Hey, go see um, Dr. Vaughn if you want to know about all the scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and a little shout out to Dr. Steve Siemens. I, I went across the street because he was known for teaching a, a sort of a, a spiritual warfare course at the seminary. Okay. And I went over, I said, you know, I have an opportunity to share with students biblical perspectives, theological perspectives. And then I brought in several people to tell their stories. So I had several um, from different parts of the world who had experience being demonized and then had exorcism stories to tell, can either you, exorcism official or deliverance stories. And yeah, I had, can you I briefly think, explain what demonized I mean? Sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but uh, yeah, I suspect so, that that might be a term that some listeners might not be familiar with. Oh, yeah, of course. So this, the term possession actually comes more from anthropology than it does from, from necessarily New Testament studies. So a okay. demonization 
um, it, uh, intriguingly in the New Testament, there's there's no real term that says this person was like possessed or oppressed. Yeah. In other words, it's they were demonized is the language. That's actually the Greek verb, I, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, actually the Greek verb. So they have a demon. Now, mm -hmm. is the demon external or internal? The text isn't actually saying. The text will tell the characteristics of the problems of the demon. So, so the, the term possession is helpful because you can really lean on how anthropologists have used it and how it's been defined uh, and so on. And there's a, there's a lot to that, which I, it won't, I'll spare you all of that sort of <laughs> Go read the book. detail. Yeah, <laughs> go read the book um, because that gets a little bit nuanced. But you got to teach but, that class, and Dr. Siemens was able to bring in people yeah, who have, can tell their said, stories. I, said, I, I thought to myself, this this could get really dark really fast. The first time I've taught this course, and uh, how do we keep this from getting too dark or having too much focus on evil? Mm -hmm. Because there is a risk there to overemphasize uh, you know, a, just have this depth of theology of evil, we need to match it with the theology of good, right? Yeah. And thinking about what is, what are the good things? Sometimes we have, and even you can have students who tend to want to focus on everything that's bad, not recognizing the good. And so a uh, shout out to Dr. Steve Siemens, who said, um, this is an opportunity, you know, to make their Jesus bigger. Uh, Jesus oh. is yeah. more powerful than any spirit in his encounters, you know, and, you know, make their Jesus bigger. And so we had a great time, a grand time going through that course. It's, it's actually students keep requesting that sort that course to come back around again. I didn't get to take it. I want to do it. Um, and it gave us an opportunity to think about, you know, passages like Ephesians six and what does the armor of God have mm -hmm. to do with spiritual warfare? Or even the question, what actually is spiritual warfare? Yeah. Uh, we got to do some stuff too yeah we've been touching on this throughout uh, the conversation so far but help us provide a little context here joy um how would you how would you describe the bible's spiritual worldview it, it it's not just god jesus and the holy spirit and some angels right i mean there's there seems right, to be a little bit right. more going on like but that surprises some people when you actually begin to press them and say all right well let's let's read the text and see what it says um yeah. some people are surprised help us kind of work through some of that well, there are all sorts of spiritual beings that show up through the bible you think about um you know the the cherubim who guard the ark of the covenant covenant you mm -hmm. think about the angels who are messengers that help portray god's message to his people i think about even how hebrews starts where this is mediated by a an an angel a messenger and yeah. um, you know you have these these um, angels among you um, i think it's really important though oh, you know well let me keep going if you think of genesis 6 is sons uh, of god yeah. and the mm -hmm. daughters of men and what in the world happened there is that something spiritual or is it simply intermarriage or or something more um, i think here in scholarship michael heiser's book the unseen realm has helped to open a lot of folks eyes to some uh, of the depth of the spiritual beings conversation and um, but but the, the intriguing thing is while the bible presents it that never it gives an argument for existence mm -hmm. and that can be the troubling thing for some folks how do we really know um it with you know there's no argument it's simply the uh, the worldview at the time uh and spirits are everywhere by the time we get to new new testament studies we've had 
um, just this plethora of growth through Second Temple Judaism or the intertestamental period mm -hmm. uh, between OT and NT, where there's a lot being said about spirits yeah uh, particularly going back to genesis 6 in the jewish perspective this is where the demons came from <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. mating <laughs> yeah yeah and and, um, and jews didn't stop thinking about that particular you know jewish persons didn't yeah. stop thinking about that particular episode you know after the time of the old testament right there's there's a right. host of other literature right. where you know jewish persons are kind of fleshing out right, what exactly happened here it's in a collection that people will know as the pseudepigrapha uh, for yeah. those who are interested in doing some really very interesting, very bizarre reading, but incredibly helpful for fleshing yeah. out the very thing that that you've been mentioning here. Yeah. Yeah. If you go, you know, if you think about even through the lens of Paul, he's going to talk about how the other gods, he goes back to Psalms. They're simply demons. Mm -hmm. And so it, it comes up a, quite a few times. Uh, but I think the most troubling thing is it doesn't make an argument for their existence is one thing that we have to remember. It is already part of their worldview. It would be like us arguing for the existence of fish. Like you've probably <laughs> eaten fish at some point. Yeah. And you know it's real and you've experienced it in your environment and no one's really asking if fish are real or not. And I think, you know, you think in that, that environment, no one's really asking this question. It's a part of their cultural universe, part of their story and their worldview that spirits exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've used the example of the post office before. It's like they don't have to tell us half of the stuff, like how it works whether it's you know the spiritual world or something as mundane as sending a letter you know mm -hmm. they don't have to explain all that just like we wouldn't have to explain well i went to the post office now the post office by the way is this place where you know these people go and they take your mail and they make sure that it's going to go to the right place we don't have to do all that they didn't have to do yeah. all that frustrating for us because i think we've lost something the enlightenment was good in a lot of respects right but uh, mm -hmm. we've also lost uh, quite a bit of what I think some, so an older generation may have called a kind of an enchanted worldview, where they they saw yeah. that there really were active spiritual realities, um, you know, just around that we have that we've maybe lost. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's yeah. Um, just thinking about what we have lost, I think that's where the multicultural lenses really mm -hmm. are helpful. So sometimes a reader from a different part in our global world has a, a background that's more comparable to what it was like to live in the New Testament times. And that gives them the gift of being a better reader of the story uh, because of, of their experiences and so on. Yeah. And so we, we learn a lot from others in that perspective. Instead of just saying, my culture is the best, we know what we've got going on here. What if we become listeners uh, from of other perspectives um, in other global parts of the world? I think that's a really important thing. Um, in one of my anthropology classes at the seminary, I read a book called The Spirit of the Rainforest. And this, if any book will break your Western mind of, of spirit, this mm -hmm. one will do it. Um, spirit of the rainforest okay spirit of the rainforest it's about a shaman who incorporates a lot of spirits and how any and you get to hear his story eventually um at the end he meets this great spirit and i won't i won't do a spoiler okay. but the book is if you're interested in this topic um this book is definitively 
worth the read and it should come with a, a, a rated R warning for if we have any young listeners listening. Yeah. 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 Thanks for the, thanks for the heads up there. Um, yeah. One thing that, uh, that I have found to be true. And I, and I know I'm not the only one. Um, it was one of those things where I had always kind of known this and then a friend of mine said it. And I thought that has been my experience too. Um, so he's the first one to actually verbalize this thought for me, but for within churches of Christ, so like the you know, denomination that I, and you know, other mutual friends who have gone through Asbury, uh, have gone through and, you know, for which, you know, we still teach at you know, their universities and still minister in the churches and so on. Um, traditionally, not every, not every congregation, but traditionally we've been, you know, you know, either ardently or just sort of default cessationist where, you know, mm -hmm. they've you know, not really known much what to do of spiritual gifts, particularly the, what have been called, you know, the miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues, mm -hmm. you know, exorcism, uh, you know, whether word of knowledge, you know, healing, stuff like that. They've always been very shy about that stuff, or some have very ardently said, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. Interestingly, um, almost every Church of Christ affiliated missionary that I and this other friend have known, and you know, by God's grace, we went to a we went to a university that sponsored a lot of international mission teams, and so they mm. they did a really good work there. Um, professors, students, um, you know, other 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 people that we've met through those networks, they you know, for those who have gone to a part of the developing world. Almost all of them, almost all of them have some kind of story that sounds intriguingly similar to the kinds of things that we read about in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And they they want to tell about the good things that God is doing in, you know, mm -hmm. in, in ushering the gospel and booting out these destructive spiritual mm -hmm. forces. Yes. But they would get either laughed out of their churches or their funding would get cut off. And so they're nervous about that kind of thing, but it's, you know, it, it, it happens. And, um, and like people who grew up in that environment are looking now at this and saying, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. And they were able to see it by stepping out of their, uh, you know, their, their mold that, uh, you know, whether, whether Western or American or whatever, by just getting a broader perspective they're able to yeah. see it. And so I, yeah, e even within, even with our relatively small church fellowship, I, mm -hmm. I've seen that play out uh, pretty consistently. Yeah. Speaking of your question about student interest, um, I, I'm really grateful for Asbury University and the opportunity to share some of these topics. In the spring, coming spring, I get to do a course called Miracles and Charismata. So we're going to talk about miracles. Oh, interesting. And I, I feel like this is a good counterpart to the demons. And spirits. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, maybe you shouldn't have one unless you have the other. Right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good balance, right? When everything is getting balance. cold and dark in the fall, take the demons class <laughs> when everything is starting yes. to get really light and Halloween. beautiful and, and blooming in the spring, take the miracles and, <laughs> and miraculous gifts yeah. class. That's a, that's a good two part. That's how you can pitch it to your Dean. <laughs> is yeah, that yeah um hey what got you interested in this topic i mean ever since i've known you um i, I will admit i i first met you and you were just a student you weren't the you know the demon person 
wasn't the demon that wasn't you yeah (laughs) no but like like i i didn't know that that was your topic and then until you know you and uh, tom lyons who i've had on the podcast before yeah uh and i all were realizing okay not only are we defending our dissertations in the same year but literally in the same week Mm -hmm. because yes keener was elsewhere uh you know guest teaching at uh, trinity i think and so Mm -hmm. we just all you know locked arms and said, all right, we're going to power through and we're going to finish these things together. But what got you interested in this topic in the first place? Yeah. So I, I grew up in a charismatic kind of churches and always non-denominational and always around these kinds of things, thinking of whether you're thinking of word of wisdom or word of knowledge and um, or, or miracles. I can remember being a little girl and seeing people get prayed for and things change for them. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I had this experience from a, from a really young person's perspective and I got to seminary and, uh, a PhD Asbury seminary. And, um, I, lo and behold, I stumbled across, uh, I had just met Medine in the student center back when it used to be, um, right where yeah. she worked and that's Maydean Keener for those who Maydean Keener yeah, who is a, just a, an absolute wonderful human being a delightful is. person to be around it is an extraordinary saint yeah yeah as is Craig Keener who was who was my dissertation supervisor mm-hmm. and I had a meeting Craig Keener for the first time it is his first year at Asbury Seminary it is also my first year at Asbury Seminary mm-hmm. and so we are the newbies on campus uh the two of us <laughs> yeah. and and he said it, so we got to talking we got to talk talking about my charismatic background I did two master's degrees at Oral Roberts University and mm-hmm. had a very rich experience growing in faith and academics at Oral Roberts University. And he said something to me that day that really much changed the trajectory. I was really interested in writing on the atonement and wrote something altogether different from my um, dissertation topic when I proposed that I would like to be a student. And so um, Craig said, you know, I really am, I'm thinking I it would be really good for a student to write something on spirit possession. And, and I know you have a charismatic background. Would you at all be interested in a dissertation um, on this topic? And, and I thought to myself, oh boy, I really need to pray about this. This is a, this is a dark topic. Yeah. When you do a dissertation, the amount of hours of reading that you do on something is quite a lot. And I didn't want to, um, to take on, to bite off more than I could chew to, to be idiomatic. (laughs) And so I said, let me spend some time praying about whether or not this is right for me. You know, I was hesitant to want to jump on it. And I, Mm -hmm. and I really got to thinking about two things from my own background. There's sometimes not all the times, but sometimes in charismatic circles, there's an overemphasis on demons. Mm -hmm. In other words, the demon causes every single problem and even to the extent that everything is over spiritualized and um, even avoiding going to doctors for health treatments because it's, it's a demon problem. So sometimes yeah. um, in a malformed version of Christianity or malformed version of, of charisma, I would say there's just this extreme emphasis that everything is a demon. And then on the other hand, in a lot of Western theological training, like we went back to that parable, there's nothing. Yeah. And so you kind of have, I have these poles in my mind of like, 
all or nothing and thinking, couldn't there be a balance to this some way so that maybe a charismatic person could see it from a fuller perspective and a westernized person could see it from a multicultural perspective. And so I thought, you know, I really want to do this. I, I really want to take this on. And I would have never guessed then that it would culminate here. I didn't there have this is. vision at that moment. Uh, so so there is God's faithfulness. And, but that was kind of how I got into the, the topic. Um, and if I could take your, I, I know one of your next questions is, what are the next steps for Christians yeah. when you think about? Yeah. And this ties right in. So I'm going to tackle this question now. Go for it. If we go all the way back to C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally both pleased by both errors. Mm -hmm. And so this one, you know, my book doesn't say that every time you're sick, it's a spirit or every time you experience difficulty, it's, it's the spirit. But the heart behind it is that you could have an interpretive table and everyone pulls up their seat. So you have someone who comes to you in your churches, they're having a problem. Um, what are we going to do? Um, could you imagine yourself? And I'll read just one. I'll give you one more little sneak peek. Of Go for the text. it. Yeah. Imagine yourself sitting at a table and discussing any one of the stories that have been told in the monograph, whether biblical or modern. Next, imagine each seat at the table represents an interpretation or an interpretive position. Uh, the seats could be named sociology, psychology, medicine, spirituality, anthropology. You know, there are a lot of interpretations that people will think about when they think about these sort of events. For far too long, because of the impact of the Enlightenment and the bent of rationalism, the only seats allowed at the table belong to scientifically geared disciplines. The disciplines could disapprove the reality of spirits because they were not observable. And this has caused the silencing of the multicultural perspective, which has now been carefully observed and highlighted by anthropologists in a wide variety of cultural perspectives. Even if the observed experiences and testimonies of modern anthropological works do not convince one of the reality of spirits, the weight of the testimony and the analogy to the New Testament calls for a seat at the interpretive table. In other words, if 74% of our world experiences or populations have, they have eyewitness to some of these experiences, could we say, you know, maybe what we're dealing with here is a spiritual problem. And a shout out to the Roman Catholic kind of perspective on this. If you were going to go and say, um, in that tradition, if you if you go and say, I have a spiritual problem and I'm, I'm really concerned, they they would do medical analysis and psychological analysis and think about social situations and networks and and do all of this kind of observation before sending a person or diagnosing with a spiritual problem. And so I don't have any intent to dissuade from the, the reality of medicine or yeah. psychology or any of that. It's not to be dismissive or reductionistic, reductionistic at all. Um, but we also have um, spiritual things that have been experienced by a lot of folks. And so if I could give you a, a really broad stroke of the chapters uh chapter right. four it spirits make me sick and so thinking about possession and that's illness, a great title 
the second Your chapters are so much more creatively titled than mine. <laughs> the, the fifth chapter is Spirits Make Me Violent and Strong. Oh, and yikes, yeah. the sixth chapter is Spirits Make Me Speak. And so I have surveyed uh, biblical accounts and modern accounts mm -hmm. kind of on all of these characteristics. And you can read all of the stories uh, about that in the book. Yeah. Joy. Um, this has been this has been a delight. I, I know we're near the end of your time. Do you have time for one more question? I sure do. I sure okay. do. Great. What surprised you most in your research? Yeah, I, I prepared for this one. Okay. I just to have little <laughs> evidence. If your if your listener is ready to have their mind bent a little bit, um, bear with me. So actually chapter four, which is titled Spirits Make Me Sick. Mm -hmm the subtitle spirit possession and illness and so i began to survey a lot of the anthropological and ethnographic research there's a lot of this research it's not like it's a tiny bed i mean it, this topic is well studied in both anthropology and ethnography and uh, it's is intentional the title of the chapter is intentionally provocative by the way it's meant to catch your attention and say whoa yeah <laughs> what's happening here mm -hmm. um in george murdoch's book is a book called theories of illness over 90 percent of this 97 percent of societies he studied associate possession with illness and so having this idea that a spirit could make you sick is very prevalent in in different perspectives and then another person uh, richard c fiddler he writes about his experiences with the sarawak chinese people he says, finding societies where it is believed that evil spirits cause illness and misfortune is easy. And I thought, that's not really very easy in my Western. You know, when yeah. I have a headache, I take a Tylenol. I don't typically pray first. And so in some case, I kind of wondered, you know, maybe I should pray and take the Tylenol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> because that you know i do believe we are spiritual like we do you know we have we are spiritual beings um temples of the holy spirit and so um i remember reading that it's easy and then i started to research that was the first chapter that i did and and literally that chapter could have been hundreds of pages longer every mm -hmm. single anthropological and ethnographic study i picked up there was attestation to the fact of these spirit sicknesses and that could have been, uh, you know, infertility or pain or all sorts of different things. And they were attributed to having a spiritual cause. And that's just really, that's really, uh, it's really just caused me to think. Uh, it really challenges my Western framework a lot about about illness, to be honest with you. Sure. Uh, but it is the story of the woman bent over right? And mm -hmm. we think about stories that we have in our New Testament and when the demons go stand up. And sometimes we have uh, maybe even a blurring of, is it medical or is it spiritual? Even in Luke's gospel, he, he tends to blur a little bit where it's, you know, maybe not as clear or maybe it's both. And is there overlap between physical and spiritual as well? Yeah. How is that for the most interesting thing there, Kevin? <laughs> I think you have, uh, I think you have adequately tantalized uh, listeners 
who should go rush out and buy your book, which I will have a link to in the description below. Joy, I, I know for a fact that we could uh, we could talk uh, you know another hour about about this kind of thing because in you know just in those times where we were all you know sitting around the lunch table talking about our research um, and uh, talking about uh, mutual friends who had experienced uh, you know some pretty significant things that well look somewhat like the kind of stuff that we read about in the New Testament um, and. Yeah, we've. I I know there's more that we that we could say. Um, you know, I I I was, I was actually talking to um, talking to a friend uh, uh just uh just yesterday who is teaching through the Gospel of Mark, and I asked him, you know, do you anticipate anybody in your class, you know, asking about uh, the demoniac there in chapter five because he's about to get to chapter five, um. Mm -hmm. And I, I, he said, well, you know, they, they ask, you know, you know, some questions like this in class, but I, I, I don't know. And I said, well, I'm just curious, what will you say? Um, mm -hmm. And, and he gave a, he gave a good, good answer that was, um, that was very gentle for his audience. Um, but uh, he asked me, you know, what would you say? And I was like, man, I just, I've, I've known too many people. And it's because of my experiences at Asbury and getting to know people that, um, you know, from from the U.S. and from outside the U.S. who have experienced stuff like this, your um, your next steps for Christians today is is next spot step. on, and I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, we had a lot of interest, and um, if I could reference back to the outpouring, mm -hmm. we had a lot of interest in spiritual warfare come on our campus, and I think that's a good thing to learn and grow. Um, my next step for the for the reader is really to remind of C.S. Lewis's thing. If your theology is is mainly built around a study of demons, I think we have a, I, I like to say I think we have a discipleship problem. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's this you know as frustrating as New Testament scholars can feel for the limited amount of evidence, a limited amount of we have a good bit, but you know it's not everything. Yeah, like all of these stories point to Jesus, and I think. We need to balance our demonology with healthy pneumatology, studying the Holy Spirit, thinking about um, having a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, um, and just really being rooted um, in, you know, Christology, to say, or even, mm -hmm. you know, having in-depth doctrine of God. And so I think there's there can be a temptation. This This is fascinating stuff, and there can be a temptation to sort of let it overtake you yeah. um but i think keeping this balanced in your theology it's not everything the new testament is not a handbook for deliverance right, right. it doesn't give you a step-by-step -step formulaic guide to how to get rid of a demon but we do see what jesus does um, and i've always been so really grateful if you want another book to read a uh, very classic in new testament studies is by graham 12 tree who wrote a, a note for the cover of my book. I was very grateful for his words and his book is named In the Name of Jesus and a great book. He goes through these stories, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and thinks about it through the rest of the New Testament lens. It is a classic book on this topic in New Testament studies, one of my very favorite books on the topic. And so if you want a companion to this book, um, so the really good exegesis in there. Yeah. Well, Joy, thank you so much for your time. I 
I, I hope people are encouraged to go out and buy your book. Um, I know I am. I'm going to be getting it. And I appreciate you uh, spending a little bit of time with us today. Thank you, Kevin.